I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your daily fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, Solomon writes, Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, or you will give your vigor to others, and your years to the cruel one. And strangers will be filled with your strength, and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. In our passage today, Solomon continues to warn his sons of the dangers of pursuing the pleasures of the flesh, which are presented, in this case, in the form of an adulteress, who turns out to be a barbed hook that's baited with empty promises of blessing and joy. In this passage, he starts off by instructing them not to even go near the door of her house. You see, it's never enough to resist temptation by saying to yourself, well, if I go close without actually walking through that door... I'll be able to control myself and refrain from sinning. You know, that type of thing is easy to say from a distance, but you enter an entirely different mindset as you get closer and closer to that doorway. Consider Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. She knew that she wasn't supposed to eat the fruit from the tree of good and evil knowledge, but the serpent caused her to doubt her understanding of what God had said. The serpent said something along the lines of this. He said, Did God really say that you'll die if you eat that stuff? Are you sure... No, you won't die. I guarantee it. And so what happened from there? Well, she got close enough to the tree to take a look at it. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. Amazingly, she and Adam put up virtually no resistance to speak of, and the narrative of the fall, which starts in chapter 3, verse 1, is over and done with. It's finalized only five verses later. If they had only had the wisdom of Solomon, who tells us to stay as far away from these types of sin as you possibly can. As illustrated in our previous lesson, think of sins which pertain to the pleasures of the flesh as if they were a bomb about to blow up. You don't get close enough to a ticking bomb to check it out. You get as far away from it as you can, as quickly as you can. The consequences of not steering clear of temptations pertaining to the pleasure of the flesh are serious. The first possible consequence that Solomon lists is that you'll give your vigor to someone else. And this word vigor is the same Hebrew word which gets translated as honor. Think about the honor that people like President Bill Clinton lost when it was discovered that he had committed adultery. And the same has happened to Christian leaders who have been caught in adulterous affairs as well. For these people, the pedestal upon which people had formerly placed them is shattered, and stories of their accomplishments will be marred by stories of their affairs for generations to come. People want to be remembered for honorable things, such as charity and goodwill. Wise and honorable people never want to be remembered in negative light. The second possible consequence that Solomon gives us is that you'll give your years to the cruel one. Well, what does that mean? It most likely refers to the possibility of being blackmailed by someone who knows what you've done. They know your secret. We've seen powerful people expose those who have attempted to extort them for money or political favors in exchange for their silence, but the majority of people who extort this way are never exposed because people don't want to face the dishonor of owning up to their sin, and they're willing to bend over backwards to save face. The third possible consequence is debt. 
Those who seek to extort usually seek some form of material gain, and the person who committed the secret sin could end up having someone reaching into their back pocket for the rest of their life in exchange for the extortionist's silence. The lesson here is simple. There's no pleasure that this world offers that's worth what it could cost you in the long run to give in to those temptations of the pleasures of the flesh. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your Daily Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your Daily Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 5, verses 11 to 14, Solomon writes, And you groan at your final end, when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, How I have hated instruction, and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. The fifth chapter of Proverbs started off with Solomon issuing a stern warning to his sons to stay away from temptations which pertain to the pleasures of the flesh. In our previous lesson, we talked about the best way to avoid those temptations, and we discussed some of the consequences of giving in to those temptations. Solomon continues discussing those consequences in our passage today, leaving what might be the most severe consequences for last. We've seen that three things a person risks losing as a result of giving in to temptations pertaining to the pleasures of the flesh are honor, time, and money. However, while those things are indeed costly and painful even, there's sometimes nothing that causes regret like suffering. This is the next possible consequence that Solomon lists. The fact is that when a person gives in to temptation and commits sexual sin, they're putting their own health at risk. With an adulterous woman, as we have presented in our text, you're also risking the health of your spouse, which is even more difficult and more traumatic. There is nothing quite as painful as causing a loved one to suffer needlessly and not being able to do anything to stop it. Yes, we're talking about the transmission of diseases through sexual activity here. This wouldn't be anywhere near the problem that it is in the world if adultery were not as rampant as it currently is. Humanity in general is obviously far more concerned with pleasure that lasts only a moment than they are with the possibility of contracting a disease that will either kill them prematurely or cripple them for the rest of their lives. It's all too often that a person doesn't realize just how foolish their actions were until it's too late and the damage is done. It's only at that point that they say, how I have hated instruction right? Why didn't I listen when I had the chance? These are the types of things that we think in the midst of dealing with consequences. Solomon is encouraging us to consider the consequences now and to take the possibility of these consequences into consideration before we make the mistake of giving in to temptations of the pleasure of the flesh. The final consequence that Solomon lists is bringing disgrace upon Christians in general. The purpose of excommunication in the New Testament church is to bring about a change in the course of actions of an individual who refuses to turn from their own sin. And when done correctly and biblically, 
It'll save the integrity of the church's testimony within their community. While it might seem cruel and unloving, it's actually the most loving thing that a church can do with someone who refuses to turn from their sin. If you know anything about the process of doing an intervention with someone who is engaged in a lifestyle of drugs, alcohol, or other pleasures of the flesh, you know that the family must determine beforehand, before doing the intervention, to cut all ties with the individual who has the problem that they refuse to turn from unless that person discontinues in their lifestyle after the intervention. Just as this is the most effective means of breaking through with the addict, it's also the most effective means of breaking through with someone who refuses to repent of their sin as well. Those who bring disgrace upon the church are forced to live with the fact that they've given ammunition to those who are hostile toward Christianity to unleash upon the bride of Christ, which is not something that her groom, Jesus, would take very lightly. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your Daily Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. Attention parents, the subject of today's lesson is sexual in nature. If you listen to our Proverbs lessons with your children, please take a moment to review today's lesson to make sure that it's appropriate for the age of your child. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your Daily Fix of Wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 to 17, Solomon writes, Drink water from your own cistern, and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be yours alone, and not for strangers with you. Everything that God created is good. Everything. There are no exceptions to this rule. We know that God created everything to be good because God created all things. And as a being who is both all-powerful and all-good, it's logically impossible for God to create anything that isn't good. And yet, evil exists, and it's manifest in many of the things which God created to be good. How is that so? It's because when we take any good thing out of its intended context, it's no longer good. It's evil. God undoubtedly created us as sexual beings, as evidenced by the fact that people are willing to risk their lives for that fleeting moment of ecstasy. The unwise person who doesn't want to have anything to do with God's wisdom will reason like this. They'll say something like, God created us as sexual beings, so we should have sex. However, this reasoning is inherently fallacious because it assumes that any type of sexual context is good. One can't get much further from the truth. Solomon has shown us the improper context for sex, which he presented in the form of an adulterous woman. Solomon also showed us some of the consequences of giving in to the temptation to engage in sexual activity with her. In our passage today, he contrasts the improper context of sexual activity with its proper context. Solomon starts off this very poetic and allegorical part of the text by saying, Drink water from your own cistern, and fresh water from your own well. The message that Solomon is communicating here is that the proper context for sexual activity is within the confines of marriage. One's wife is likened to their cistern, or a well. The clear implication here is that one shouldn't engage in sexual activity with anyone other than their spouse. Engaging in improper sexual activity includes everything that falls between 
between looking lustfully at someone other than your spouse to engaging in the act of intercourse with her. Jesus knew where that path to the improper context for sexual activity started and thus warned against even looking at a woman lustfully, letting us know that adultery includes everything from that first step onto that path to the last step of that path. Where does the line for looking lustfully at a woman start? Well, they say that the first look is innocent, but that the second look is lust. In Solomon's day, water wasn't always an easy thing to come by. There were droughts. And so if you had your own private spring or well, you guarded it. There was this funny movie that came out about 25 years ago, which had this one scene where these three guys are stranded out in a scorching hot desert, and two of these guys look like they're just dying, and their canteens are filled with sand. The third man, however, somehow has a canteen that's still filled with water. And so as his two friends look on in disbelief, this third man takes a drink, and then he pours some of the water over his head, and then he takes a swig to gargle with, and he spits it out, and then he uses some water to wash his hands with it. And of course... The reason that this is humorous is because it's obnoxiously wasteful. But that's the same image that Solomon portrays for the person who experiences any type of sexual activity which falls outside the walls of marriage. Truth be told, our sexuality is a precious precious gift that we can offer exclusively to our spouse. That's something that a person can give away only once and only to one person. Don't make the mistake of undervaluing your sexuality by giving it away to someone who doesn't deserve it. Nobody deserves to have that unless they're already committed to spending the rest of their life with you. God created sex to be a bonding experience between one man and one woman. It was created to be a good thing, but like anything else, it becomes evil when it's taken outside of the context that God intended it to be experienced in. And that context is, unequivocally, a monogamous, committed marriage. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your daily fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. Attention parents, the subject of today's lesson is sexual in nature. If you listen to our Proverbs lessons with your children, please take a moment to review today's lesson to make sure that it's appropriate for the age of your child. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your daily fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 5, verses 18 to 20, Solomon writes, Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? Solomon is continuing to discuss the proper context for sexual intimacy with his sons, which, as we saw in our previous lesson, is restricted exclusively to marriage. God created us to be sexual beings, and that's not a bad thing, unless we experience our sexual side in a way that he didn't intend us to experience it. Over the past couple of months, I've started training myself to run in a half marathon. One of the things that I've really had to consider is that running 13 miles is going to be a lot easier if I can lose about 10% of my body weight. And trust me, I can probably lose a lot more than that. So one of the things that I've had to adjust to 
is eating properly. The weight is melting off without any problems, but sometimes I get these almost irresistible cravings to snack, just fill myself with junk food. But what I've found is that when you're really hungry, food tastes better, exponentially better. But if I fill myself up with junk food before a meal, that meal just doesn't taste anywhere near as good. It's not even in the same ballpark. And Solomon's telling us that that's how sex is supposed to work too. Yes, there will be plenty of temptations and opportunities for you to snack, that is, for you to explore your sexuality outside the boundaries of marriage, but that will inevitably put a damper on and taint the pure and sacred sex that you are meant to enjoy with your spouse and only with your spouse. Have you ever heard of the hormone called oxytocin? You know, women naturally have very, very high levels of this neurotransmitter called oxytocin. And one of the effects it has is that the higher your level of oxytocin, the greater one's ability to bond with another person. That's why mothers typically bond instantly with their babies, whereas fathers, whose normal levels of oxytocin are typically around one-tenth of a woman's. That's why fathers have kind of this initial awkward feeling out process with people. The one and only time that a man's oxytocin levels approach the levels of a woman's is immediately after engaging in sex. Don't think for a second that that's not exactly how God designed us as guys. And that's why it's so extremely vital that you practice your sexuality only within the context of marriage. This oxytocin stuff is extremely addictive. And if you're not careful, guys, you can very easily start to view sex as a means to an end rather than as a gift to your wife. And wives, you need to realize that you, yes, you, are the only legitimate outlet for that oxytocin. With that in mind, I simply want to warn you that it can be a very dangerous power ploy to deprive your husbands. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth where people were surrounded by a culture that was overtly sexually promiscuous, a lot like our culture today, and where believers were struggling with separating from the culture's habits and were thus abstaining completely from sexual activity. In addressing them on this issue, Paul wrote to them and said, The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3-5. to 5. Did you get that? The Holy Spirit himself tells us through Paul's pen that if deprivation isn't mutually agreed upon, it can very easily lead to lack of self-control. Solomon says, Let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. This word exhilarated means something along the same lines as dumbfounded. In other words, Solomon is telling us that keeping sex in its proper context results in a man whose wife is always the apple of his eye. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your daily fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.